Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Lord, that our lives and our minds and within our actions, Lord, that it would show that you reign in us, Lord, as we submit to your lordship and kingship. Thank you for bringing us here this morning, that we can come together in unity just to say that you are Lord, and Lord, that we may express our love not only to you, but to each other. We thank you for this opportunity, invite you to join with us. We come before you this morning to show submission to the king. We come to swear our allegiance to your truth and to declare your worth. We come to sing your praises and to give thanks for all that you have provided. And this morning we join together to strengthen our commitment to your holy calling. You have called us to be holy as you are holy. And as your adopted children, we desire to please you. The Apostle Paul encourages us to be imitators of him, Paul, as I am of Christ. And it is only through scripture that we receive a picture of what true commitment to the kingdom looks like. So from scripture, we resolve to go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that your house may be filled. We resolve to devote ourselves to the service of the saints. And we resolve to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, and eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Remembering that we did not choose Christ, but that he chose us. And he has appointed us that we should go and bear fruit and that our fruit should abide. We give thanks to the indwelling spirit that empowers us to follow you. And we give thanks to the son who was obedient in providing all that was necessary for salvation. And we join with John who writes, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. We pray this in the name of Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. In Mark chapter 1, as we continue on through the gospel of Mark, as we go from the introduction of Jesus, we're now moving to the authority of Jesus as we look at the command to follow me in Mark chapter 1, 16 through 20. As a matter of review, Jesus had proclaimed that the time is fulfilled, that the kingdom of God is at hand to repent and believe in the gospel. This meant that the kingdom of God had arrived, that Jesus is the king, and the appropriate response is to repent and believe in him. Time for decisive action on God's part. With the arrival of the king, a new era in God's dealing with men had come. You may write this in your notes and look at it later, but Galatians 4.4 tells us, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. You see, God sent His Son at the right moment in human history, when God's providential oversight of the events of the world had directed and prepared peoples and the nations for the incarnation and ministry of Christ, and for the proclamation of the gospel. Today, Mark shares that Jesus now turns his attention to gathering disciples to follow him. And that's where we find ourselves in Mark chapter 1, 16-20. Let's read. 
where Mark writes, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting the net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to him, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately in verse 18, they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Jebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Father, open our hearts to the truth of your word. As we look at this command to follow Jesus, Lord, help us to understand what that meant to John and to James and Andrew and Peter. Lord, what did it mean to the readers of Mark as they're living in a culture that is anti-Christian, who are facing persecution? And then, Father, as we fast forward 2,000 years later, how that is relevant to us when he says to come, follow me. We thank you for your word. And Lord, open our hearts that may respond as you called us to. In your name we pray. Amen. The purpose of this passage is to describe the opening stages of Jesus' Galilean ministry. John the Baptist's ministry ends as Jesus begins. Mark, along with Matthew and Luke, actually passes directly from the temptation to the beginning of the Galilean ministry, skipping Jesus' intervening ministry in Judah that's found in John chapter 2 through chapter 4. We got a rundown of Galilee's region last week as well as his regional importance and influence. Mark shares with us that Jesus ministered primarily around the towns on the northern and western banks of the Sea of Galilee. And just as a visual, I have a map here of the Sea of Galilee. There you can see that the Sea of Galilee is an inland lake that is about 682 feet below sea levels and is 14 miles long by 6 miles wide. And it supported a flourishing fishing industry. So if you were to see... Jesus went through that northern and western part of that sea doing most of his ministry that we find in Scripture. And in it, Mark is introducing us now to two sets of brothers. There's Simon, which we would know as Peter, and Andrew along with James and John. Luke's gospel also tells us that those four were actually business partners with Zebedee, who was the father of James and John we'll see that these four will make up the central core of Jesus' disciples as we go through history. Now that Mark has established that Jesus is the King, He is that Messiah, he writes that Jesus now begins to call people to submit to Him and to follow Him. Every king must have his subjects that follow Him and help advance His kingdom. Jesus isn't so much calling them to follow Him as their rabbi or teacher Rather, Jesus is exhibiting his authority in demanding that they follow him as the rightful king. Jesus is preaching and gathering men in order to teach them to be co-laborers in advancing the kingdom of God by sharing the good news. When we see the word follow me, the command, that's a command. Training in a new occupation is the promise when he says, I will now make you fishers of men. And what's interesting and amazing is total abandonment of their occupation and security was the cost. They left all things. They left their business. They left their father. They left all that they had to follow Christ. Mark here is emphasizing urgency once again with that a word immediate. Immediately they dropped their nets. There did not seem to be a long, drawn-out conversation of why they should follow him 
or debate on the merits of Jesus' demand or delay in responding to His command. And that's unfortunate we see with many people. To follow describes an attachment to that person of Jesus, a personal surrender to His summons, and an acceptance of His leadership. Interestingly, Jesus chooses regular men for training and development. He did not choose the wisest, the richest, the popular, the religious, or even the most influential. Later, the Apostle Paul will share that this is actually intentional. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you would, please. And obviously, as we see in Scripture, called a mark, we can see ourselves through the mirror of the spectrum of Scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, Paul writes, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, he says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. When Jesus is walking in these villages, again, Galilee is not a place where the religious leaders were. This is not a place where the most influential Israelites were. This is not a place that if you were one in a kingdom, you would go. You would go to Jerusalem. But here he is in these little villages as he's going on, and he's not even looking for the city leaders. He's calling fishermen. He's calling regular men to follow him. The promise that they will become fishers of men is a fitting promise in that God had used the same imagery with Jeremiah to describe the judgment and the return of Israel in the last days. For Jeremiah is given this promise in his book, when God said, Behold, I'm sinning for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterwards I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill, and out of the clefts of the rock. They would understand this imagery not only from Scripture, but also because of their own work in which they would cast nets and they would grab the fish. Jesus is also described in the kingdom of God as we find in Matthew 13 when he says the kingdom of God is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. See, God is even now today gathering people to his kingdom like a fisherman casting his net. And we see here there's more that's going on than just a simple narrative. We're seeing how God is working, how the kingdom of God is going to grow. He is calling men to follow them. He's giving them a new occupation, a new promise. But what we also see that there's a high cost to following Christ. And each and every one of you may find yourself in the various uh, seasons of life. To some, God is now just beginning to call and say, follow me. There's some of you that have said, well, you know, I, I'm ready to follow him. What's the promise? What is it that you want me to do? And so you're training and you're developing your spiritual skills to say, what is it that God is wanting me to do? And we share it simply here at OVBC is, is that we're called to reach out, to reach up, and to reach in. We're called to reach up in worshiping by focusing on God. We're called to reach in by life sharing with others, by discipling and, and fellowshipping with each other, doing life together. We're called to reach out 
by not only sharing God's love, but also by meeting needs with love. And we had an opportunity to do some of that this week. So let me ask you, how are you in developing those skills? How are you in following His commands? Many of us are still struggling with that because we haven't counted the cost. We're not yet ready to abandon all else to follow Christ. You see, a king says, everything is mine. And you do my bidding. Again, something that's very difficult for us in the Western culture to understand about kings and kingdoms. But Jesus is sovereignly saying, there's mine, it's mine. And he's calling us to a holy and high calling. Now, as I look at this, the question is reading Mark, since Mark seems to be so brief, he's a man of action, he's just saying, here's what's happening. The question I have to ask is, why did they abandon all and follow him? When he says immediately, it seems like they didn't even think about it. They didn't even talk about it. They didn't sit down and do spreadsheets and say, well, can our business survive? Is our dad ready to do it? They didn't take any of that. It seems like they just dropped their nets and left. And Mark is wanting us to understand that's what happened. So I tried to understand for us, what does that mean? Why did they abandon all and follow Jesus? I want to share with you four things, four reasons why. The first one that I saw is that they were disciples of John the Baptist. But we see that in John, is that John was standing with two of his disciples. And when Jesus walked by, they, John pointed out and said, Look, there's the Lamb of God. And two of the disciples heard him say this. And they left John and followed Jesus. And in verse 40 of John 1, it tells us that those who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And they found his own brother, Simon Peter, and said, We have found the Messiah. John had prepared them for the coming Messiah, had he not? We looked at this before. They were expecting the Messiah to appear soon. John had done his work as one who was preparing the way. They understood. They were expecting it. They were ready for that call. The second reason I believe they abandoned all and followed Jesus, because Jesus' identity and ministry was affirmed by John the Baptist. In John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, And the next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus' identity and ministry was affirmed by one who was already trusted. They trusted the one who said, This joy of mine is now complete when he met Jesus who said that he must increase and I must decrease. And John lived that out to the end. And number three, they followed Jesus for some time in Judea. If you were to read Mark and Matthew and Luke, you might think it all begins there. But in John, we see that they actually met Jesus in Judea. And they worked with him and went for him with some time, temporarily. They were with him when he turned the water into wine at the wedding. They were with him at the first cleansing of the temple. They were with him, when, and they were baptizing followers of Jesus. Jesus didn't baptize, but they were baptizing followers of Jesus. And they were with him at the woman at the well. Most likely, as we see, they only temporarily followed him. Most likely, they went back to fishing after temporarily following Jesus when John the Baptist was arrested. Their world probably crumbled for a while. 
And once he was arrested and jailed, they went back to their business. But this calling that we see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is a permanent call to forsake all and follow Jesus. In other words, they tasted and saw that he was good, which leads us to the fourth reason, I believe, that they were willing to abandon all. It's because they knew him, they watched him, and they heard him. John chapter 2 tells us, now when he was in Jerusalem speaking at Jesus, at the Passover feast, many believed in the name of Jesus when they saw the signs that he was doing. Though they had turned back to their old occupation, they had experienced enough, they had heard enough, they had witnessed enough to count the cost of abandoning everything to follow Jesus. These four men left their business and financial security to follow him. Their decision to drop everything to follow Jesus was no blind leap of faith. It was not a spin of the dice or a spin of the wheel. It was not a Jesus take of the wheel type of moment. It was a calculated decision that was based on reason and faith. And for me, I see it comes because the testimony of John the Baptist. Let me ask you, as you're going through life, most of you have probably come to Jesus because of someone else, the testimony of someone else, someone else who pointed to Jesus, someone who had already experienced Jesus and said, you got to check this out. Be the Andrews, be the Nathaniels that say, hey, come look, we found the Messiah. And I will share with you, that's how most people will come to know Christ. There will be very few people who will come through our doors, sit down, and then after one message decide to follow Christ. It does happen. Some of you might have come to Christ that way. But most likely it's because someone pointed you to the way. Someone was faithful. Someone was preparing your hearts. In the same way, that's what God is doing. So when Mark shares that they left immediately, it was not some blind leap of faith. It was not some haphazard, well, let's, you know, let's just do whatever. It wasn't, well, my life is terrible. Jesus, take the wheel. It can't be any worse. No, they knew what they were getting into. They counted the cost, and they found it worthwhile. And so here's where we come today. For you and I, the message is still the same. Come, follow me. That's the testimony and the witness that you and I have as subjects of King Jesus. Is we go and say, hey, would you come and follow our Savior? Would you show you the King? We want to point you to the one who's calling to us. You see, this is what it means for us today. You see, R.T. France writes that the essential elements in discipleship is there are some things that have caused us to become discipleships. And here's where we're going to part this morning. Is the first thing is that we need a relationship with Jesus. The disciples knew who Jesus was. He was a known quantity. It was not some stranger that said, follow me. And there was something about his charisma or something about himself that said, oh, we just got to do this. The Bible actually says in Isaiah that there was nothing about him if you looked on him that would say, follow him. It wasn't in his looks. It wasn't some certain look and demeanor. It says there was nothing about that of Jesus. John 1.12 says, But all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. So when it says, come, follow me, Christ is giving us a relationship. That's the invitation. 
You see, the king has sovereignly called us to follow him. He has made us alive by replacing our dead stony hearts with a new fleshly heart that beats with desire to love and serve him. So let me ask you this morning, has Christ come knocking on your door? Has he met you at your place of business? Has he come in the midst of your busy life and said, hey, come, follow me? The only way to respond is Jesus really is saying, come, let's have a relationship. Let's be brothers and sisters of God. Be a joint heir with me. Like Nathaniel, we have declared that Jesus is the Son of God, the King of Israel. I pray today, do you have that relationship today? Have you heard his voice, come follow me? And have you begun to do so? I urge you, if you haven't, do say today. If you haven't heard that call, would you begin praying? Would you begin sharing that with others? The second thing that we see for discipleship is an active promotion of his mission. An active promotion of his mission. See, they understood that they were ambassadors for Christ. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians, if you would, please. They weren't going to promote their own agenda. They didn't say, well, can we all wear little patches on our robes that say Zebedee's fishing and sons? Well, can we point people to Galilee and to our type of fish that we sell? Can we come back every once in a while and help our father? No, they really follow him to the death. But they did. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 17. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature or creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ has reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So we are now in the kingdom and joining others. Would you come and join us? Would you come and follow us? Maybe your discipleship has been stunted and hasn't grown because you have not been actively promoting his mission but have been so enraptured and taken over by your own. Scripture gives us a warning of those who are tangled up in the cares of this world. It says that they're not born again. It says that they'll be choked off and died. And so where are you with your discipleship? Are you pointing others to Christ? Are you declaring who Christ is? Are you following Him with total abandonment? Are you ready to drop it all? And count it all worthless so that you may gain Christ. I think that's one of the tragedies, especially of the Western culture, the American church, is that we're so busy with the world, and with our own mission, and with our own agenda, that we're not about what God has called us to do. We're not ready to drop everything. We have one more thing to do. An essential element of discipleship, if you truly want to follow Christ, is that you're going to have to have a relationship with Christ. You're going to have to have an active promotion of His ministry. And then there's a total commitment to His cause. 
Again, I feel this is where we fall short. Turn to Luke, if you would, chapter 14. For this is where we bring it. Andrew, Simon, James, John, the church at Rome, the saints of old have all done this. Many have lost their lives. In Luke chapter 14, look at verse 26. Luke writes, if anyone comes to me, speaking of Jesus, quoting Jesus, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my own disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first set down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. Verse 30, saying, this man begin to build and is not able to finish. I'm afraid that there are some of us that are walking around with unfinished foundations. Verse 31, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is a yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You see, if you're going to follow Christ, it's going to, you're going to have to count the cost. And I think we have too many cultural Christians today in which we've accepted Christ because it's in our family, it's something we've done forever, and it's something that's expected of us, or it's a great way to network, it's a great way to get other people to know about me. In other words, church has become a great big social network. And let me tell you, it should not be so. For you gathering here this morning and coming to submit, you're saying, I submit Jesus is King. I am willing and ready to abandon all things for the sake of Christ. That's what you're saying when you say that you're a disciple, a follower of Christ, is that there's a total commitment to His cause. But I'm afraid there's many of us that have fallen prey to easy believism and easy Christianism. Well, I believe Jesus. Repent, oh, that's something that's just for Israel. That's just something that they may do in a millennium. We need to recognize it'll cost all that you have. And I know it's kind of a passe saying, would you die for Christ? And in saying that, many of us know that we will never, ever have to face that reality. But there are men and women today that are now facing that cost. For many of us, we're not willing to shut the TV off to follow Christ. We're not willing to unplug our ears to engage with someone else. We're not willing to take our eyes off the prize of retirement or investments. And maybe in the fact that our children are all our treasure and our precious things, and God says it cannot be so. Zebedee was willing to give up his children. His children were willing to give up the business. Now before you go too far, does that mean i got to really hate my wife, hate my children? That's not what he's saying. He's using hyperbole. They say that our love for Jesus ought to dim the love that we have. It ought to be dimmed in relationship to our love for Christ. Obviously, God has given us our children. He's given our parents, and He's called us to honor them and to love them and to take care of them. 
and our wives to love them and husbands to respect them and submit in a loving relationship. But God has called us to be willing to abandon it all. And we need men who are ready to abandon it all to follow Christ and then to take their wives with them and say, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're short of Joshua's here that are ready to follow him no matter what the cost. We don't want to do battle. We don't want to fight sin. We don't want to go against the culture. Let me share with you, discipleship is a relationship with Jesus. It's something new. We're a new creature. We're children of God. We are to actively promote His ministry and His mission. He's given one. Go ye therefore in all the world, teach and preach and baptize, making disciples of people of every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And there are still people who have never yet heard of Christ. There are people who have not yet, even today, do not have a copy of God's Word in their own languages. And it's not that we haven't found these people, it's that we haven't given enough to allow people to translate the Bible into language. So either we go and do it ourselves, or we go and support those types of people who do that, or we send money to send people in our place. That would cost too much pass out a flyer to invite someone to Christ or to invite someone to church is just way too much. Let me challenge you. The appropriate response to the appearance of the kingdom of God is for you and I to repent of our dead works, to believe that Jesus is the king and to follow him wholeheartedly, totally abandoning everything. You might recall I gave a message some time ago based on it's time for you and I to abandon the American dream. Not to get political, but the American dream stands in stark contrast to the biblical dream that God has called us to. You're going to have to choose one or the other. For those of you who may not feel worthy to follow Christ or to be His disciple, or for those of you who are fearful of failing or maybe have failed. R.T. France gives some wise advice. Listen to what he writes. About this passage, he writes that the disciples may and often will fail Jesus and disappoint Him. But their role is crucial to the achievement of His mission. And as I read this, you can put your name in the same place. For it is through this flawed and vulnerable group of people that God's kingship will be established. And it is in the tracing of their development as Jesus' disciples, both in its successes and in its more frequent failures, that Mark will expect his readers, those in Rome, to find the basis, whether by example or by warning, for their own discipleship. You see, some of you are James. Some of you are John, your sons of thunder. Some of you are Peters that put your foot in the mouth, and some of you are Andrews who just can't wait to invite someone else to Christ. Some of you are Nathaniels who just look and say, Wow, Jesus said he saw me under the fig tree. He must be the king. And some of us are like Paul, who are ready to abandon it all. Let me tell you this. It doesn't matter who or what you are or what you bring to the table. 
If God has called you and commanded you to follow Him, the appropriate response is to say, Yes, Lord. And He will use you fully, spent out, poured out for Him. And you will be a glorious tribute to who God is. My question, are you ready to do that? If you have a relationship with Christ, it's because He's come and He's chosen you. And He says, follow me. And we make a total commitment to His mission. So let me ask you this morning, what are you holding back? Do you have a relationship with Christ? If so, continue to the next point. Make an active promotion of His mission. If you're not doing that, then probably you do not have a total commitment. If you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, would you come to Him now? Scripture tells us that today is the day of salvation. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you a moment just to pause for a moment to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to consider the cost of following Jesus, the promotion of His mission, and the invitation to have a relationship with Jesus. And would you respond to what the Holy Spirit may be asking and calling and commanding for you this morning? Jesus, you are a great king. And I know that many of us fail in our discipleship. But yet we thank you for the promise that you've given us a relationship. Let us hold on to that truth. Let us be like the disciples who are willing to accept that relationship, to accept that promotion of your own mission. Help us to show us ways in which we're still living life for ourselves or for others rather than you. Father, help us to count the cost and help us to be willing to lose those things that have no heavenly value in order that we may gain those things that are true and that are just and that are pure and that are holy. Help us to respond in the way you've called us to. Strengthen us for that. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.